puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Nonsense pass, a shot, they score! Trinkley Cutter scores! What a stop by Hellebuck! Nikolai Ehlers off the faceoff! Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, about to get underway here. And Paul Edmonds, Jamie Thomas sitting here in the podcast suite or the audio suite, I believe it says on the beautifully stained glass, I think is what we, I don't, I don't know, but you could is clearly posh. Talk. Can they see the in posh here? podcast suite? <laughs> yes, let's call it that. Can they see us waving to them? Let's call it by. that and, and save me from my lack of art terminology. Josh Dudich, who is uh, one of the people behind the Dale Howarchuk statue, would just be offended by me trying to name some of these products in this office uh, that I'm sure he had to work hard on. Um, Paul Edmonds, Jamie Thomas, like I mentioned, and guys, uh, I think the excitement in our voices is because the NHL regular season is finally upon us here for the Winnipeg Jets. Two weeks of training camp, six preseason games, two big wins over the Calgary Flames as well, two veteran lineups for the Calgary Flames. Yes, it's still preseason, but guys, what can we take from those victories? So I asked the question to Rick Bonus leading up to the last game in Calgary that concluded the preseason schedule where they went 4-1-1. Can you get a bounce? Can you get a boost from the last game? Can that be applicable? And while it doesn't count for anything in the standings to go 4-1-1 as they did, there would be a lot more questions about this team if it was the inverse at 1-1-4 or 1-4-1, whatever you want. So I think what they can take from it is the fact that there was a lot of things that they did that they set out to do from the opening day of training camp that got applied to their game and then executed by the players. And from there, they had success. So that's where the buy-in comes from the coaching staff to the players. See, we asked you to do this. You did. We won. Mm -hmm. So that's where we need to continue to do this. And then the players, in their buy-in and from their standpoint – they're trusting that what the coaches are saying to them is working. And they're on display in real time. It is with that record. So, yes, it counts for not in the standings. But it goes deeper than that in how you're playing, the structure of your play, the tempo, the pace, all of those things that were talked about leading up to training camp and at the start of it that Rick Bonus wanted to implement in his team. And so far, so good at this point. I think the best part of the of the preseason is the fact that, as you mentioned, Mitch, the two wins over Calgary and an NHL-laden roster that they went up against in those final two games. And sure, they gave up a lot of shots, but we didn't see those second and third chances that the Jets have been giving up quite frequently uh, since Dustin Bufflin and Vin Sherratt departed town. So I think in that aspect, you can look tell your team, okay, you can give up these shots from the outside, fine. The odd occasional two-on-one, fine. Just don't give up that second and third chance and make sure Connor Hellebuck or David Riddick can see everything. And we saw how that works when those two goaltenders get those opportunities and they can see the puck, what they can do. And they were they are absolutely spectacular and solid in, in this, those two wins over Calgary. One of the websites that I like to look at kind of throughout games, especially when you start to see the, the shot discrepancy that we saw in the game against the Flames, is, is a site like Natural Stat Trick. Now, everybody's got their own preference of yeah. which website you want to go to. But one of the things that I like to look at is high danger chances because, yes, yeah, so many times you hear someone like Connor Hellebuck or even David Reddick, I'm sure, would, would think this as well. You know, a lot of the shots were coming from the outside. A lot of shots are coming from, from the outside. So once I start to see the numbers go up, that's when I start to go take a look. 
And in that game against the Calgary Flames, the high danger chances, which are the ones that the Winnipeg Jets really, really want to get down, were dead even. Actually, the only reason they got to dead even at five through 60 minutes was because the Flames had a couple of chances late. The game was already pretty much over. Mm -hmm. So even though the Winnipeg Jets were trailing in that shot on goal department, they held the edge in those ever-important high danger chances at five on five, which I think is a a nice thing to see if you're the coaching staff and if you're the the Winnipeg Jets, specifically the goaltenders and the defensemen. The new systems, which has been something that we've been talking about kind of throughout training camp, in a word, aggressive. What progress have you guys seen in that regard? Well, the one thing that I always find interesting about new systems is we try to kind of watch what's going on, and it it looks a lot of the same, right? From team to team to team, there is different variations that are eye popping to the to the layman, like we kind of are when it comes to to kind of deducing what's going on on the ice. The players know where they're supposed to be, and those are the subtleties of systems. The game doesn't change a lot from one system to the other by one coach to another coach, but it's kind of positioning and what you're supposed to do. But the aggressiveness can change, and that can happen on the penalty kill, that can happen on the four check, and that's where I want to start. I think the four check is the biggest difference in this system. It's become more of a two-man four check as opposed to a one, and then two guys are higher. The two-man forecheck is really trying to prevent that that quick pass up the ice or the quick regroup inside your own zone and come up along the lanes or in the middle. Two-man forecheck is going to try to force those defensemen into a few more bad passes, thereby picked off, and now you're in transition and you're countering those. So that's one of the areas in that aggressiveness that you talk about that I think we can really watch for, and that's how Winnipeg will attack the puck in the opposing zone when they go back on those retrieves, that being the opposition. And from there, be able to use that skill set to turn a play that's a turnover puck, whether it's from the blue line in or even from center ice into the opposition zone into a great scoring chance. Other than that, some of the other subtleties of the, of the systematic change, I need a little more time to kind of grasp it and review it and then ask questions about it. A big part of and something that Paul is kind of we're looking to see is entries into the zone and the jet zone. Is it a little bit harder to get in because it was certainly a lot too easy at times over the past couple of years for the opposition to get across the blue line. Also, the, the defenseman carrying the puck into the offensive zone, we got to see a little bit more of that to be able to kind of give you what's going on. But what I, what I have seen is I can think of a great example. Calgary coming through the neutral zone, Logan Stanley cutting over and taking away the gap, and it made it, the puck was there was a turnover. The Jets come back the other way, and I even go with Brad Lambert. Although it was quick, he turned the puck over the neutral zone, made sure he got back. I saw a lot of that. If there was a turnover, the forwards are making sure they got back in time to support their defense and certainly their goaltender. So that's what I've seen from the early parts of camp and through the, through the preseason. Hopefully a lot of this carries over into the regular season because it's going to need to because the Jets have – a real handful of a schedule in the first month. Well, and video, as we know, gets around the, the National Hockey League so quickly. So this may, you know, catch some teams a little bit by surprise at the first week or so of the National Hockey League season. But how much adjustment do you think teams are going to have to go through, especially if the Connor Shifley Ehlers line is one that stays together? They've just, I mean, Kyle Connor had, I think it was eight points in three preseason games. Again, it's preseason, but nice to see your guy that had 93 points last year is feeling it offensively. Mark Shifley seems to uh, have that trademark grin that he always has on his face around the, the dressing room, and it's, I think it's translated into his play. He's been really excited to get going, and Nikolai Ehlers looks primed to take another step. 
that's where if you're concentrating on that line, that's great because that's what Rick Bonus and Scott Arneal want. Because then it's incumbent on the other two lines that are supposed to score to maybe find an easier pathway to doing that. They're not up against that top pairing defenseman. They're not up maybe against that other top line. So seemingly you're taking some pressure off your other six top forwards of your top nine in order to have them produce. So there's a symbiotic relationship that exists when you start to key in or have the opposition key in on your top line. You're going to need those three guys, Ehlers, Connor, and Shifley. They're going to have to score. And by all indications, they will. But where the complementary aspect comes is the other lines that can then fill in and feel that they're not pressured by the other top units of the opposition. So I think a lot will come from that. We'll see what happens. Now, the other part of this is, too, top lines love going against top lines because if you're beating their top line, you're beating the best in the league, and then that just shows that you are on top of your game. So there is some motivation there. But I don't see there's going to be a lot of lines that you can match up if they get off to the start and play the way that we expect they can that are going to match up very well against Shifley, Connor, and Ehlers, save for maybe a a line in Edmonton um, or a line certainly in Toronto from the Canadian perspective. Uh, I really like this. I think that these guys showed that they were ready to go from the opening drop in training camp. Four goals for Kyle Connor in three games and all the points that you mentioned. Looks like he's ready to have another breakthrough season like he did last year in goals and points. And with Nikolai Ehlers, this is the chance he's been waiting for. I, I, I feel like he, you know, the conversation with the media, he needs more minutes, he needs more mi- minutes. Paul Maurice felt like he had that magic spot of how many minutes Nikolai Ehlers can play to be effective. Well, here's his opportunity. Top power play, top line, big numbers coming again from Nikolai Ehlers. You're, I'm thinking 50, 40 goals for him This if, if things go well for him. Shop where the players shop. Jets Gear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com. Hi, this is Mark Shifley, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Well, we continue this, I guess you could call it season preview episode of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, and we brought in a very special guest uh, to start off this fantastic season that we have ahead of us, Mark Chipman, who needs no introduction in around this building or pretty much anywhere uh, in Manitoba. Of course, he was inducted into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame over the weekend, so first off, a congratulations on that. Uh, but Mark, I think the, th- the question that I would have for you to kind of open things up here is there really seems to be this level of uh, optimism that kind of started in around like training camp. You know, there was this, this field fan fest was back. There's fans everywhere at, at, uh, at the ice plex and it just kind of continued and continued. And then the Dale Howard Chuck ceremony happens uh, with the statue unveiling. That was just an emotional couple of days. You know, we're sitting here, we're recording this on uh, on Thursday ahead of the Friday's home opener, which is always a special night. What's your kind of level of optimism and feel as we get ready uh, for this season? Well, I would say it's um, yeah, it's cautious optimism. Um, you know, it does feel, it feels right right now. Um, but, you know, I've been doing this long enough to know that, uh, you know, how, how difficult it is uh to be successful in this league. So, um, look, I, I would take the feeling I have right now. Um, I'm not overly guarded about it, but I'm, you know, it's, uh, we got a tough start ahead of us. Um, 
and uh, but I'm anxious and to to get it going. And I feel I do feel optimistic. I there is a, as you said, there's a there's a, a pretty palpable sense of uh, of optimism around the group right now, and um, so that's a good thing. You know, it it feels right. That's the best way I can. Uh, describe it I think those of you know you guys who are around a team a lot and, and and have been doing this for a long time you can sense that you know it in or not and and this year for sure there's a there's just a different vibe and it feels feels right for a whole bunch of reasons Mark you come out of COVID and this is the first full season I think that won't be impacted by it and in some way shape or form the last three have been and I'm always fascinated by the business of the business. It's kind of what, not only on ice, but the tickets, the signboards, all of the stuff, the, the mechanics that go into a successful organization. And you recently wrote a letter, and I know from my relationship with you that it was heartfelt to the season ticket holders. And I've had some people tell me that it's really tugged at them a little bit. Um, what's, the, what's the impact of, of that letter, and, and how has it resonated in our market to our season ticket holders? Well, I, you know, it was it was a a part of an effort that our whole organization went through to to uh, try and reclaim some season ticket holders that we lost through the pandemic. So I sent it out to a few hundred, you know, contacts uh, of mine that um, you know either currently are season ticket holders or um, or may not be. And um, yeah, it, I think it, I think there was a little bit of surprise. Uh, around the idea that, um, you know, we've been impacted as significantly as we have, um, and in particular, and nowhere more so actually than on our, uh, in our, in our season ticket base. Um, and it's not unique to Winnipeg. I mean, the, for the most part, teams across the league have felt the same thing in some cities far more dramatically actually, but, um, you know, it just, I, I don't know that there could have been a worse business to be in uh, during a global pandemic than uh, where you ask people to, you know, come into a public assembly facility and sit in close proximity to one another while yelling and cheering. And, and so, it, you know, it had a very, it, it, it has and continues to have a very significant impact on, on the business of hockey. And uh, it's going to, you know, um, the last two and a half years were um, were really challenging, and but I'm, you know, I'm proud of the fact that we kept everybody together and and we're you know live to fight another day. It's going to take us years to dig out of you know the financial consequences of the pandemic, uh, but that's okay. Um, you know we're we're we feel like we're more than capable of doing that. Um, but you know, look, I mean, we um, you know we. We're a better we're a better team when we're we're a better organization when that building's full and rocking and our players um, you know you talk about vibe and and they feed off of that and so it's not just a financial consequence it's um, you know being the smallest building smallest market in the league it's um, it's challenging when it's not full and uh, for any number of reasons but especially you know um, the way that just the, the energy that we we feed off of the team feeds off of market. At what point did you sit there in your office or at the rank and go, okay, things are kind of starting to turn the corner here from a business perspective. Well, uh, I would say it would, it would honestly, yeah, it would have been over the, this 
past summer because, um, you know, I would have said a year ago when we started last season and, and things seemed to be falling back into place. And then we got, uh, that, that, that additional hit of, uh, of the virus in January. And, and that was really, really challenging. I think for a number of our fans, it was as well. It was like, it was kind of a breaking point for people, you know, and, it had gone on so long, and then all of a sudden we're playing in an empty building again or moving games into February so that we didn't have to play in empty buildings. And and that's right about the time that we're really starting to plan, right? In, in February, March is when we do a lot of our work and trying to, trying to look above the tree line and see what the next season is going to look like. And it was really tough because you just didn't, you know, there was just still so much uncertainty about what you could and couldn't rely upon in terms of... Uh, revenue etc but this summer uh, I would say you know we had a really good response from uh, from our our corporate team a really good response from our suite holders uh, a really good response from the vast majority of our season ticket holders so it felt started feeling normal again uh, this summer and uh, and then as we went into the hockey side of things and we actually you know got to go to a draft live in Montreal that that uh, that was that felt right again and um uh you know just it just we're still a couple weeks behind our ordinary schedule um and it's amazing the impact that has had on so many people that work here right it just it's it's still been disruptive but i think by this time next year we will be fully caught up we'll be back on the regular calendar that the nhl relies upon so many parts of the schedule that came out, you mentioned, still a little bit off, but there's still a number of dates that I think a lot of fans are excited for. One of them being um, the Hall of Fame night that we're going to see, you know, Teppo Newman and Timo Solani, both guys that came out to the alumni game in 2016 and were a big part of that. I remember uh, when Tyler Esquivel, who is sitting in the room producing this lovely uh, part of the episode, uh, and I went to Finland and we got to, you know, chat with Timu. And then we also, Teppo Newman was somebody that I had never really met. And we went and had a conversation with him where we asked after the, the alumni game, like, hey, like, do you have five minutes? He's like, absolutely. Came out 20, 25 minutes later, said, sorry for the wait, guys. And he's like, I had to get my hair right. So that was something that I... I've always remember that that Tempo Newman story. Just what's it uh, what's it kind of been like? Because one of the things that you've talked a lot about is kind of bridging the gap between the two eras. As you see the continued success of the the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame and being able to bring these guys uh, back this year, being Tempo and Timu, uh, just to be able to you know be honored in front of the fans that that cheered them on for so many years. Well, I I mean that's been a part, or, or that's been um, one of the reasons that we've we. Um, initiated the Hall of Fame was to, uh, as you put it, bridge that gap or create that connection between um, the, you know, the the first iteration of the Jets. Uh, we, we we were quite um, intentional in that, and in, in especially in the selection of the players. And uh, you know, I think, in my view, uh, Tepo and Temu are probably represent the 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 end of that continuum of those of those bona fide NHL superstars that played for the Winnipeg Jets and, and in, in both cases also happen to be just wonderful people and are that are very, very proud of their association with our team. So um, you know we've been we we had planned on on doing those inductions prior to the pandemic and and uh, so I was really pleased when we, you know, 
went back to them and said, this is the year we're going to do it, that they so um, quickly and willingly obliged. But, you know, I would say, like, I almost feel now, if I don't now, I think I will after after that induction. But I think I feel now after we did Dale's statue that I, I think we can lose the term Jets 1.0 and Jets 2.0. It feels like we're just the Winnipeg Jets now. You know, I think there's, as I talk to those players and listen to their stories um, during uh, Dale's weekend, and uh, I, I don't know, I, it, it just felt like we were all one organization finally. And and um, and, um, and and those guys are so proud, you know, of their of their Winnipeg Jets pedigree, all of them, and. It was fascinating to just see how close they they continue to be, and 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 to listen to the stories of that era and, and how how they took care of one another and and um, and so forth. So I think they feel like I I, re- I really think that 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 group we had, uh, including Serge, who was you know, um, I had the absolute pleasure of just listening to you know. Um, they all feel a part of this. They all feel like they are a part of our Winnipeg Jets. And so it feels like that bridge has kind of been, uh, uh, you know, completed, I think. Yeah, it feels like it. For, you know, for, for what that's worth. I mean, I, I, it's not like it's been an impediment to us in any way or, you know, I, I just feel like, I feel like we've got a, uh, a Winnipeg Jets family and it includes our alumni and, and, um, and, and they're, you know, anxious to stay involved. They want to stay involved and they want to build out our alumni. And so I'm excited about that. History is one. Yeah. Great point. I asked you about, excuse me, I asked you about off the ice. I want to ask you something about on the ice. And as Mitchell said, it's on the eve of a new season starting. So, you know, new coaching staff and some young players. What excites you most about looking at this team going forward starting on Friday night against the Rangers? Well, I think, you know, I've 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 had the comfort uh, in knowing now for the past five six seasons that we have a good hockey team. It's been years in the making, and uh, you know, notwithstanding the well documented challenges we had last year, the core of our hockey team is really, I think, emerging and and coming into their own into their prime, and um, and they they uh, have a deep reverence for one another and. Um, and so that excites me that there's, you know, forever we said we're draft and develop and we're a young team. And I, I think we've, I think Chevy and his group have drafted very well. And, and I think we've, you know, with Mike uh, and, and Jimmy Roy, we've done a good job of developing our players. And, and there's a depth that we have that I, I don't know that we've had in recent years. Um, and I think that revealed itself in camp, you know, with the the pressure on, on, on some of the jobs and, and, that remains, that's built, that's there. It's not like, you know, um, we were having to start from scratch. We, so that excites me. I, I, we got a good hockey club. And, um, and, and, and so the injection of a, of a new coaching staff would add to that excitement. And, um, you know, as I said, it, it just feels right right now. There's, a, there's an energy that comes from Rick and, and Arnie and, and, uh, and Brad and Marty. They're all very, very uh, competent and, you know, uh, deeply caring coaches and having, you know, flats and, and his relationship that just gets stronger every year with, with Connor. And I, I like, 
I, I always say how hard it is to win in this league, and, and that's not to make an excuse. It, it is, but I think all things being equal, like this team matches up. Uh, it really does with most teams and on any given night, and, um, and that excites me. I think, you know, it's not like we're go- in those early years where you'd go into Chicago or, you know, and you're like, oh, boy, like um, this is going to be this is going to be really tough. I, I feel like and I have felt like this for, for several years now. We, when we play somebody, I, I think there's we should have every expectation of winning. You know, like I think we got a good, good hockey club and and uh, and that's all you can really ask for is that, you you know, you you have a team to get, that has a chance. And I believe this team has a very good chance. I remember talking with you uh, during a panel about the team in 2017-18. <clears throat> Not many people were talking about the Jets then. I feel like this team is back in that place. You enjoy this team being in that spot, right? Do you like that there's not many people saying the Jets are this or the Jets are that in terms of, of Stanley Cup favorites, playoff contenders, so on and so forth? Yeah, I've never been comfortable with, uh, you know, people uh, – setting expectations for you like last year it was uncomfortable last summer you know after um after we uh, chevy acquired um nate and brendan and and there was this and i think it can become self-perpetuating and there was this you know some folks in the media said well wow this this may be a stanley cup team and and uh, that i don't you know i accept that that's what the world and the business is all about but i i'd rather be in the position of uh you know, let's just say more anonymity. And, uh, like, I think we surprised a lot of people in 17, 18. We, I don't think our group was surprised. I think we knew we had a really good team going into that year and, and the following year as well. Um, so I'm quite content. If people have written us off or, you know, don't think we're going to go very far, that's fine. Um, I don't that, – that that certainly isn't going to um, affect the, the viewpoint of the – the, the part that matters most, which is our team. Um, you know, I just, I just like to start playing games, you know, like it, it, there's been so much conversation for so long and I get it, but it's, you know, in this business, you, you do, you're talking on the ice. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm anxious to get, get the games going. And we're just as, as excited as you to have Regular season games to talk about as well. So uh, we know you're a busy man, Mark. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time out to, to chat with us on Ground Control. My pleasure, guys. The new quarter season ticket plans offer exclusive benefits. Savings on ticket prices, discounts on merchandise, and access to season ticket holder events. Choose the pack that suits you and see the games you want to see. As we get into the second half of this, I guess you could call it season preview version of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Jamie touched on it just before, uh, actually a little bit earlier, the power play and special teams. I remember Brad Lauer speaking during camp about how we're looking for a 3 to 4% improvement, 10 to 12 goals uh, on the power play in addition to what you kind of already generate. So I looked at it, and last year in terms of offense, the Winnipeg Jets were in and around 13th on the power play in terms of actual goals scored on the power play. You add 10 to 12, which is about a couple a month, just a little bit under that, they would be third in the NHL uh, behind Colorado and St. Louis. So clearly, you know, do those goals come in a 5-1 game or do they come in a 3-2 game when you really, really need them? It's hard to predict. But special teams, whether it's power play in that regard, 
which is going to have a different look with Nikolai Ehlers getting the opportunity that you mentioned, or if it's a penalty kill, just needing to get off to a little bit of more of a stronger start than it did last year. As much as we talk about the systems and five-on-five, five, special teams is going to have a lot to do with the Winnipeg's Jets' success this season. Absolutely, and <clears throat> I think the fact that they focused on that and it took a little bit to get into it, now that we saw how quickly they moved the pucks on the power play, players were constantly – there's a lot of motion, not a lot of people standing still like we've seen possibly in, some, in, you know, in years past. A lot of movement, players moving around. I think that plays a large role in it too. The, the, the fence will be a little bit more aggressive. The units are interesting. You know, we, we hearing from uh, practice today, which being Tuesday when we record this, you know, Sam Gagne, Blake Wheeler, and Cole Perfetti on that second power play unit. I think there's, you know, you've got a good one-two punch there. And that's all you can ask for. There's, I think, gone are the days of the minute 45 for the top unit and then the second unit getting the scraps afterwards. But from what we saw in camp again and in the preseason, I like the puck movement. I like the constant motion. Really hard for the defense to kind of lock in on a certain way and expect something or a pass to come from a certain place. The caveat to all of this was that the penalty kill last year was at 29th. I mean, less than mediocre, mm-hmm. let's be honest. 29 out of 32 teams, not good enough, not even close to being good enough. But they did get scorched at the start of the year, and those numbers really got skewed. But it has to be better, and it was better in the preseason. I just felt that goaltending and more aggressiveness on their PK – and, and working to expand their stable. I mean, we saw Kyle Connor, Mark Shreffley, Blake Wheeler killing penalties in the preseason as well, along with Lowry and along with Appleton. So there's a lot more of those types of scenarios for these guys to creep in to add some more ice time because they've talked about, and I'm digressing here for a second, but they've talked about being more equitable in the ice time aspect and rolling four lines and shorter shifts well you're going to be able to get more ice time if you go out and kill 30 seconds on a penalty or 45 seconds on a penalty kill it has to be better that's the number one in the two sort of scenarios in the two categories of specialty teams that has to be better and it was it was 88 percent it operated at 88 percent over the course of the preseason again is that applicable to the regular season no but it's a great starting point it is when you're looking for improvement and that's better than the three per- or four percent that brad lauer talked about on the power play it was mediocre at 17 last year now it's operating at 31% going in. They scorch teams in the preseason. And it's because of that movement that JT talked about. It's because of being aggressive on that first touch on a shot and a rebound into the corner. It's about winning battles and supporting. It's about kicking it back out and moving as a group. And having that movement, not just to look for that cross-ice seam pass one-timer. Sometimes bumper position back into the slot. Sometimes back up top. Sometimes rolling off the boards to a passer that wants to come off the wall on to the top of the circle and shoot and then have everybody crash there's just been some different variations to the power play that i've seen and as a result of in this short little time span and sample size as they like to say the two specialty teams have been much better than they were last year we'll see if it continues but again you had to have a beginning and that's where we are right now it's a beginning that's improved where where we've seen the jets get in trouble too in regards to the penalty kill matches they've got up they've been scorched in the first month and that's where they're kind of like up against it and trying to fight their way back up there. But the, the challenges for them, they've got the Rangers and the home opener. You've got the dreaded trip to Denver, Colorado to take, to take down the Avalanche power play. You've got the Maple Leafs on a Saturday in the second home game this month. St. Louis is in on the, you know, the third home game. So it's not, and you've got Vegas twice. So, I mean, there are some beefy power plays up that the Jets will be looking at. And that's where you're going to see if all the stuff they've been working on 
is going to work out. I'm not, you're not going to take your first month, but that's where you want to see how this is, is all going to pan out because you want to get to a good start in that department. And one of the things we talk about on the penalty kill, obviously, goaltending. Goaltending's got to be part of a, a really good penalty kill. Connor Hellebuck's workload, of course, over the last three seasons has been uh, a topic uh, throughout the city. I mean, nobody's played more minutes, faced more shots than Connor Hellebuck. He's a guy that likes to play a lot. Um, but at the same time, you know, David Riddick is a guy that comes in. He's looking for a bounce-back season from Nashville. Uh, Wade Flaherty's relationship with Connor Hellebuck has always been really strong, really good. The two of them tr- really try to balance that rhythm versus rest. Uh, aspect of things. Where do you guys see the Winnipeg Jets goaltending going into the year? Well, Connor Hellebuck has been in around that sweet spot for him, 67, 68 games, taking out the COVID years, right? That's been his average for the three years that we haven't been involved in shortened seasons because of COVID. So you're saying, okay, well, do you want to shave some of that off? Like, we don't even know that they've said that they want to do that. Right, Like, we're just kind of inferring that because that seems to be the way that goaltending in the National Hockey League is going now is to shave off some of those minutes and some of those games, give it to the backup goaltender, and thereby the premise is that you're going to save your top number one goaltender and be more fresh for the playoffs. But, gentlemen, you got to get there, right? So if you are chasing it, then you're probably going to rely on your number one goaltender to play more minutes. Connor Hellebuck, as you mentioned, Mitchell, has always liked more of a workload. So we'll see where their balance is. So if a if you're looking at David Riddick on a 62-20, that might be a little aggressive. I don't know that you're going to bump Connor Hellebuck down to 62 games, but maybe somewhere 64 to 18 is the sweet spot for both. But either way you slice this, David Riddick has to come in and provide the Winnipeg Jets with exceptional backup goaltending. It started out slow form in the preseason. I thought he got better as the preseason went along and the games, the preseason exhibition games went along. So I think maybe he's buoyed by some confidence. Certainly he needs to prove it on the ice and continue to do that. Certainly in the regular season, He's not doing that on the golf course, according to his teammates. But anyway, having said that, I mean, I look for not a big reduction to to kind of surmise here in Connor Hellebuck's numbers in terms of his games played at 67, 68, but maybe down to 66 to 64. And somewhere in along the lines, you're going to see David Riddick at around 16 to 18 games as the backup goaltender, barring any injuries. Team just returning from Banff this week. Uh, they t- they have Wednesday off, and then Thursday is another practice day ahead of the big home opener on Friday. You're, you're going to want to head to winnipegjets.com to get all the information about the, the home opener, how that's going to work, and then also just various uh, promotions kind of going on throughout every home game for the Winnipeg Jets. It's also a big weekend for the Manitoba Moose, who opened their season on Saturday as well, also at Canada Life Centre. Once again, winnipegjets.com, the place to go for all that information. But, guys... It's what stood out to me, and Rick Bonus kind of mentioned this at the start of training camp. One of the things that stood out to him as well, you know, from the outside, there's this perception that the room wasn't really close. And then all of a sudden, you know, Rick Bonus gets here and he goes, well, that's not the case. These guys are pretty pretty close friends, lots of, lots of groups. They go out to Banff. They go out and it looks like have a, a spectacular time. Uh, David Reddick getting the butt end of the joke on the, in terms of, in terms of uh, skill on the golf course. Um but I think one of the things that I've really appreciated about the rooms being open again uh, for the first time since the pandemic is you do get a little bit more of a sense mm-hmm. of how close this uh, this group is. You go to Banff, you have a, a good time together. How do you think the Winnipeg Jets approach uh, this kind of week 
when you're waiting, 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 waiting for that home opener, Rick Bonus said he doesn't like a whole lot of practice time, but that's kind of what the Winnipeg Jets get this season. They put together two two-hour practices in Banff. They're going to have the day off, as I mentioned, on Wednesday, and then one more practice day before they get going. Kind of where do you think the, the team is at, and how do you think they handle the week? I just, when things are going well, like they have been in the preseason, there's this fre- everything's fresh. Everybody looks it's close, right? And one of my favorite parts of being back in the room is seeing Brad Lambert's pseudo locker, yes. <laughs> the, the little <laughs> the portable locker that you could put in the back of a truck. Thought that was pretty funny. He found some humor in it too. What you're seeing is just the conversations, the relationships, guys joking, guys sitting around because we have been unfortunately not been able to go in there and see those types of things going on. What a trip like Banff does is it brings everybody together. You're having a great time. You're doing things you're not going to have a whole lot of time for during the regular season. This, this type of building, and when things go sour for a little bit, that's what you re- go back to those times and you realize you're a tight-knit group. Everyone's saying you're not. This is kind of one of those we'll show you kind of moment. Not that they have to do that, but you're just, you're just seeing it. And I, it's just easy for anybody to say that it was a terrible room because they had such a bad year last year. Well, now things just, everything's fresh. So I think they're enjoying things while everything's light. Hopefully that carries over. I think there, there's a good chance that it will with the team building that they've been doing through camp and certainly through Banff. There's been a genesis here, no doubt, and that has come from the coaching staff. And as JT has mentioned, a freshness, a a new coat of paint, if you will. And everything just smells much better. It just feels much better. The other thing is I think that these guys are fine-tuned athletes that are very, very proud. And they were not very happy with the status last year of where they ended, and that was eight points out of a playoff spot. They have something to prove. They understand that, but there is that collective of doing it together. I really like what I've seen from this group and the connectivity that they've had thus far. What I will be interested in seeing, and it will be coming down the pike at some point, gentlemen, is the adverse conditions of a two, three, or four-game winless skid. And how does the team react if that happens? Or if they don't get off to the start that they want? How do they react? Do they stay still tight-knit? And that's the important part to understand how close a team is when they're, when they're winning, but also certainly and most effectively when they're losing. Let's see, because right now it all looks good. Cannot wait for it to get started. You know, we've, we spent most of the summer waiting for training camp and something to talk about, and then we got into the preseason and we had stuff to talk about, but just nothing feels the same as uh, regular season uh, hockey when it gets rolling. We're going to talk about nothing until nothing's good enough. That's exactly it. Well said. That ends this edition of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Thanks to Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas for stopping by. I'm Mitchell Clinton. We'll talk to you soon. This is Big Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com. Proceed with Abel.